Labor Radio Podcast Network has over 70 labor-focused shows in four countries and serves as a one-stop shop for audiences looking for labor content and as a resource for labor broadcasters, podcasters, and content producers. You can follow the conversation with the hashtag LaborRadioPod, where we are broadcasting working people's voices 24 hours a day. Uh, some music uh, by none other than our own Jeremy. Wow, very nice, Jeremy. Cool stuff. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, good tune. All right, folks. Uh, this is our post-election, uh, sort of, kind of, because I don't. It's not really quite over yet. Uh, from the Labor Radio Podcast Network, uh, kind of open phones too. So uh, we want folks to share uh, what you all are going through. I know I've been on the phone all day, sort of counseling people, talking them off the various ledges. Uh, so let's do a very quick go round of our co-hosts, and then we've got our uh, first uh, guest. Uh, looks like he's all queued up and, and mobile. Are you leaving the country, Damon? No. <laughs> Hopefully not. All right, let me just go uh, quickly around the horn here. Uh, let me start with Alan. Uh, go ahead, Alan. Um, hi, everybody. Uh, Alan Weirdak from the Labor History Today podcast, also the host of uh, Cool Things in the Mini Archives, coming to you from Olney, Maryland, just outside of D.C. All right, Patrick. This is Patrick Dixon, also from Labor History Today. I'm in Arlington, Virginia, still blue. All right, good to hear. Good to hear. Gene Lance. This is Gene Lance, the Workers Speak program on KNON.org, coming out of Dallas, Texas, every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Central Time. Gene, I do not recognize you without your hats, brother. Where's your hats today? There we go. All right, hook them up. Here up. Jeremy's got his. Go ahead, Jeremy. Uh, Jeremy Waugh, host of the Break Time Breakdown. Uh, out of Louisville, Kentucky, and we're redder today than we were yesterday, man. <laughs> Work to do, brother. Work to do. Work to Very do. much, yeah. Uh, Benjamin Scott Blake, welcome, brother. And uh, just tell us uh, which uh, podcast you're with and, and where are you? Okay, so I'm uh, in Hyattsville, Maryland, uh, right on the campus of the University of Maryland. And I work with Alan for the Labor History Today uh, podcast and cool things in the, the cool things in the mini archive segment for that. Basically, Alan does all the work and I take the credit. 
Oh, and uh, you gave us a very nice live report from uh, from down in uh, Black Lives Matter Plaza. Yes, so you are our man with the plan there. So thanks for doing that. Did that turn out? I have never done that. And I realized I was primarily uh, transmitting blank screen most of the time. But uh, it oh, was yeah. an amazing scene down there last yeah, night. And we're going to want to hear more about that. And then our, our uh, producer, Evan. Hello, everyone. Evan Papp. Empathy Media Lab, and I am also based in uh, Hyattsville, uh, about a mile over the border from the district in Prince George's County. There's a whole Hyattsville uh, labor thing going on over there. All right. Uh, this is a guy we were trying to connect up with yesterday, but he was busy. We were busy. Didn't happen, but we've got him today to kick us off. And that's uh, somebody from my neck of the woods. I actually don't know where he is, but I know he lives a few blocks from me here in Tacoma Park, the People's Republic of Tacoma Park, bluer than blue. Damon Silver's He's a uh, director of policy and special counsel and uh, whatever else uh, Rich Trumpka needs help around the House of Labor, uh, <laughs> our very own Damon Silvers. Damon, good to see you, brother. Hey, brother Chris, how are you doing? Uh, you know, better and better. I, 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 was, uh, I was a little grumpy when I woke up this morning, but uh, I, I, I get, speak some truth to me here. What, uh, what, uh, <laughs> how, how are things looking from, from your angle? Well, um, I, I think it's it's our view that uh, that uh, we've given Donald Trump the pink slip, that it, it, it is it is over, uh, it is it is all over. But the shouting, there's going to be a lot of shouting. There's going to be a lot of all, shouting <laughs> and tweeting and various other things, and a lot of lawyers are going to run around. But it's over. Uh, it, that that is uh, that is uh, the view of the AFL-CIO, uh, and and it is over in large part because of what working people did and what organized working people did. Uh, in uh, in Michigan, in Wisconsin, in Pennsylvania, in Arizona, uh, and Nevada, uh, and uh, um, so uh, you know, I think you know, I think there's a reality here, which is that a lot of people are feeling a little heavy today in various ways, uh, and I think it's real, real important. And uh, I bring this message from President Trump, the president of the AFL-CIO. It's just like real important to remember here. If I told you 18 months ago that on this day, right, November 4th, 2020, right, we would have defeated Donald Trump. How would you feel? <laughs> um, words cannot express, my brother, words cannot express. Uh, we, we, uh, we had some bottles uh, ready to crack last night. Didn't Jeremy, did you ever get in that bourbon? <laughs> uh, I, I had uh, other stuff. Other stuff. Okay. Yeah, I, I wasn't. I wasn't ready to celebrate last night, so I had to. I had to crack into the other stuff. Okay. All right. So yeah, no, we would. Uh, but 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 let's let's just back up here a sec, Damon. I mean, last night. I mean, and you were there four years ago at the AFL when uh, things went went sideways. I mean, it was. I think a lot of us really, you know, we didn't want to see a replay of sixteen. But, you know, the number, you know, and I think I, I know I was having this sense of deja vu all over again, right? I mean, you know, we were feeling pretty comfortable. We were looking, we talked to Charlie down in Georgia. We were talking to folks in Michigan. I mean, we were feeling, you know, pretty cautiously optimistic. And, and for good reason. We won Michigan and we may yet win Georgia. Okay. I mean, I think, I, I, I think we need to kind of, look, I think, yes, the, the, I mean, we have to recognize that we all read polls that uh, in various ways created expectations that did not come to pass for last night, but we, but we need to look past that, right? It's like the polls, the polls are, are, are the poll, 
there, there's there's an old saying that there's there's talk about money and there's actual money, right? The 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 polls are the talk about an election. This is the actual election, and we have won. It's pretty amazing. It is pretty. <laughs> Like you say, it's probably going to be full employment for some lawyers for a bit while we, while we hash this stuff. Oh, out. yeah. Yeah, but, but you know, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Chris. No, I want to, uh, I want to, first of all, I think we have Deanna uh, uh, Forrester from the uh, Metro Council, if I'm not mistaken. And I want to make sure that we get her introduced and, and get her live. Deanna, are you there? I'm here. So glad to have you. Uh, let, let's get... You were just downtown uh, at the uh, at the um, uh, demonstration in uh, McPherson Square. So before we open it up to uh, my colleagues for questions and comments, uh, tell us about how that went. It was a defend the vote uh, rally, yeah. Yeah, um, the call was to make sure that every vote was is counted. Um, yeah, I'm exhausted. I'm sure like everyone. <laughs> Join the crowd, join the club. Yes, exactly. Um, and it, it was good. I'm glad because I, you know, after driving around to a couple of polls yesterday, um, probably set up and listened to the results coming in. So it felt good to be around like-minded people, um, our colleagues, our comrades in the front line, um, 32BJ, Unite Here, um, a lot of local local ANC commissioners um, from DC um, were there. Um, so I think a lot of people just felt like they wanted to come together, especially we all been isolated for so long. Um, and the, the definitely a different feeling than um, other events have been, or even some of the stuff that's been portrayed, um, you know, as far as the protests and the um, disruption, no disruption, very peaceful, um, everyone calling to make sure that, especially with Trump announcing last night that um, he won in his own mind, um, that every vote on it. Um, so it was really good. They, um, when I left from down there, we, they were getting ready to march, but they um, put up um, 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 Biden's um, speech on the, um, the big screen. So it was good. Yeah, in fact, before we go on, uh, Evan, you probably, I think you want to share the latest map that we have because it was, it's almost uh, changing by the minute. So let's see where we actually are at the moment. 264, this is uh, Politico. Okay, so Biden's at 264, Trump's at 214. So there's we're looking at Nevada right now. Uh, Biden's up by 8,000 votes. Um, going to Pennsylvania, we have Trump up by 300,000, 86% of the expected vote is in. North Carolina, here, let me get that down there. Uh, North Carolina is, Biden is only very close, less than 100,000 votes with 94% in. And then Georgia is a very interesting one as well. It's uh, just about 100,000 votes. And I pulled this uh, article up um, from the Wall Street on Parade that talks a little bit about George, uh, Judge Sullivan's um, directive at U.S. Postal Service and DeJoy to count the ballots. And they actually go through this percentage right here that is um, looking at the number of ballots that the post office is still holding on to. 
So you can see that in central Pennsylvania, 70% have been delivered, which means that 30% were not delivered. Uh, almost 20% uh, were not delivered in Philadelphia, 23% in Detroit, 46% uh, in Colorado and Wyoming, mail-in ballots are still um, with the post office. You got 39% in Atlanta, 20% in Houston, 31% in Alabama. I mean, what, what type of uh, effect would that have with uh, the Senate race down there? In the New England area, it's, it's nearly 30% for Maine, Vermont, and New Hampshire. And in uh, South Carolina, even 21%. Uh, would that have had any effect with the Harrison race? Probably not. And then South Florida as well, uh, 25 um, or yeah, 25% and 20% Wisconsin. So let me uh, let me go back to Damon for you know, just sort of some comment on on that, and then I want to uh, you know, talk about what's next for labor. I mean, there was a big concern, uh, Damon, about uh, you know folks mailing in, um, and, and clearly, I think we're seeing that we've been seeing that today, right? As those as those votes were being counted, and this seems like it was part of the GOP strategy, uh, knowing that that the uh, the mail-in was was going to skew more democratically, and and you know with Trump trying to claim victory at two o'clock in the morning. Do you want to talk about that? Well, I mean. It's critical to understanding what's going on to understand that the mail-in ballots uh, are, are, over, are overwhelmingly Biden ballots uh, mm -hmm. and that the states count them in different orders. Uh, and and uh, the, there pretty clearly was a, a, an effort by, by President Trump and by, uh, and by DeJoy, his uh, postmaster general, to mess with the, the or at least the question whether they how effectively they were messing with the post office is another question. Right. They were certainly, right. certainly they certainly wanted us to believe that. Um, I, I, I think we're going to see a lot of numbers and this kind of thing being thrown around. I think we have to let the dust settle on that. I can tell you right now, and I'm a little puzzled by the math associated with that map because that map just showed uh, if it, if if you count Nevada, Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin and the three votes in Maine, and the one vote in Nebraska, right? That is 270. That is, right. that is victory. That is victory. That, and, that map and, wasn't showing Nevada. Right. Uh, I, I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't see you from the way you guys put it up there. Uh, and we are, the reason why I said so, so, so convinced, so straightforwardly before, uh, we believe we have won this election is because we believe that those states are in the bag, that that is solid. And we also believe that we are going to win Pennsylvania. And I think the number you do, I hadn't seen the Pennsylvania number. If we're at 86% and the, and the gap is 300,000 votes, we're going to win. Uh, the, uh, and, and, that, and that assumes that there actually aren't like hundreds of thousands of ballots somewhere in the, in the post office. Remember in Pennsylvania, because of this Pennsylvania Supreme Court order, ballots can be validly delivered until Friday. So that if there are, uh, and there's a federal judge chasing them, if there are a lot of undelivered ballots actually in the postal service and not simply ballots that were not actually not mailed in the end, but people actually went and voted in person instead, or they dropped them off or whatever, there actually are about large numbers of ballots in the postal system. Uh, I, I think those ballots are gonna get squeezed out by Friday, at least in Pennsylvania. And what happens elsewhere, I think, well, we'll see. We'll see what, what kind of facts emerge. Um, there are lots of federal judges and state attorney generals overseeing the post office uh, and and uh, I think we'll see, you know, we'll we'll, we'll see how that how how that uh, unfolds. 
Um, I, I, I think it's just really important to understand here right now today as we speak, right, that um, although it wasn't, although, <laughs> let's put it this way, uh, it would have been nicer to have won a huge and resounding victory by, you know, double digits that we have won. And we didn't win just by accident. We won because of a huge effort by the labor movement in the critical places, not just to not just to talk about the issues and, and understand why Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were the right people for working people, but to turn out the vote and to protect the vote. We, we were, uh, the, 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 the labor movement was, was out in force protecting the vote today, protecting the count in, in Detroit, in, in Pittsburgh, in Philadelphia, turning situations that where people were trying to provoke stuff into calm, lawful democratic processes. And it, it really shows that it, 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 you know, there's no question that Donald Trump was engaged in, in, and people around him even more so, were engaged in a concerted attack on our democracy. And that attack, that attack was defeated today. Thank and you. we should all remember that. No, I think that's absolutely key. And, 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 uh, and I want to welcome, uh, I'm so glad Elise could join us. Uh, we, were, we were supposed to connect up earlier for, for our own little personal therapy session. I was like, Elise, let's, let's just do it right here. You know, that's, this is, uh, that's what the network is here for. So Elise Bryan, uh, president of the Coalition of Labor Union Women. Sister Bryan, how are you feeling today? Uh, better than when I went to bed last night. Uh, <laughs> this morning at one o'clock in the morning. Got that. Uh, yeah, guys, fellas. Siblings, so glad to see y'all. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to listen to what you all have to say because I haven't watched the news. This, being on the AFL-CIO call was the first time I've heard any report back on it. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm here to listen. Yeah, and, and I think to Damon's point, you know, and, and just to the, the bit that I've been able to, to pick up, you know, I really think you know, you know, uh, I had people saying, oh, you know, you know, downtowns all over the country are boarded up. They're preparing for civil war and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. Uh, and that, you know, did not happen. There was a lot of concern about, you know, intimidation at the polls. Um, and I didn't, and, and I would, you know, love to hear Damon, you know, you probably have your ear close to the ground on that, but I didn't hear a, a whole lot of that going on. And so in the end, it looks to me, you know, and this is maybe part of what Dame is talking about, like, you know, uh, the people did get to, you know, by and large, despite a pretty organized effort uh, to, to speak their piece. Now, you know, the fact that, you know, we very clearly have, a, have two different countries in this country. You know, you look at that map and there is definitely, uh, you know, a red America and a blue America. Now you go down to the local level, I think it gets to be a lot more complicated. And in fact, uh, you know, Virginia, I think, is a good example of that, depending on, on where you are, uh, you know, uh, even in that, that you know, it kind of breaks out. Ah, good. Mark, Mark Groomberg from PAI Labor News has uh, joined us. And I know, Mark, you've had your ear uh, close to the ground. Do you have some uh, labor news for us to report? Yeah, I do. Thank you, Chris. Sorry, I'm a little late. I was out at uh, McPherson Square with the Protect Our Votes people, um, of which there was a very good crowd, by the way. Uh, I would guess several hundred, you know, I'd say about 200 or so, everybody is socially distancing and wearing masks. Um, and there was a lot of enthusiasm. Unfortunately, the two, two of the three union leaders who were scheduled to show couldn't. Uh, John, uh, John Costa of the ATU and um, uh, what's her first name? Davis of, of Washington Teachers Union couldn't make oh, it. Uh -huh. Liz Davis. 
but the uh, SEIU 32BJ did, as did other as did other progressive groups, 51 for 51, uh, United We Dream, so on and so forth. They were they were all out there, again emphasizing protect the vote, protect the vote, protect the vote. Um, nobody. And that's what the, that's what DC is doing. Now we switch to the national, uh, which is why I spent much of today on before going to that. Uh, there have been demonstrations all over the country, similar protect the vote, but but in Chicago, my old hometown, thank you, eight unions got together for a pro for a demonstration that let's see, it's five thirty our time, so it's going to start in half an hour their time in the loop same theme but these eight led by the chicago teachers union which is known for its activism and militancy have said that if trump tries to basically steal the election they are going to demand a general strike and they aren't the first the difference is it's a block of eight this time so let me um, let me go over to damon because i know there's been a lot of meetings and and, and what and you and you sort of alluded to this but i want to get into a little bit more and also uh any of the rest of the crew here you know can jump in this is a free-for-all uh we're all sort of venting finding out information and uh having a therapeutic session so i don't mean to monopolize <laughs> but but damon i want to get a sense of uh, i mean i know there's a lot of lawyers on 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 the trump side he's been talking about it for days um, uh, and, and frankly, a lot of us have, you know, uh, PTSD from, you know, four years ago or what shit. I, I still have it from when Gore, you know, uh, sort of was very <laughs> peaceful and, you know, let the process, you know, let the process play out. And we saw how that worked out. Um, who, who is it not only from the Democratic side, but where, where is labor in this mix? What's, what's our plan? Well, um, we have a comprehensive plan for dealing with threats to the election. Um, uh, organized b before the election uh, in concert with community allies in the key battleground states, uh, you know, relying on the labor movements, uh, regional and state uh, structures. And uh, with, uh, we have legal coordinators set up and, and we have a press structure, a communication structure and, and a mobilization structure. And um, uh, we were very, you could see, uh, we were very effective using that, putting that structure into use today in Michigan when there were, uh, when there were people who were trying to disrupt the lawful counting of ballots in, in Detroit. Uh, and, um, and, and I, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure that structure will work if, if there are more, if there are, um, you know, if we have to, if we have to mobilize in response, in response to any threat to the vote. And uh, uh, Rich Trumka, the president of the AFL-CIO, has made really clear on many occasions that it is not by it is not by lawyers or judges or reporters or publishers, uh, not even by podcasters that uh, that um, our democracy uh, that our democracy is maintained, but it is simply by the determination of working people to defend it. And no one should be under any illusion or confusion about how it stands right now today in America, which is that working people and their unions are prepared to, to defend democracy, whatever that means and whatever that takes. Uh, and, uh, and, and, but, but really that's all we have to say because we're also going to be proportionate, meaning that we are not gonna be the first people. We are not gonna be the first people to step outside uh, of the lines of democratic conduct, civility and law. We're, we're, not, we're not gonna be that. 
and, and we saw that already today. We saw we saw the, the Trump people trying to disrupt our democracy, right? And it was working people who said, no, let the votes be counted, leave those people alone, sit down, be quiet, act like a normal person. And, and, and you know, our people can be quite persuasive in that, in that way. <laughs> hey, Cloud. Patrick, you've got a question. Thank you, this is Patrick Dixon. Damon, from what, what I understand then, the case you're making is that Trump can have all the lawyers he likes. He can have Ty Cobb, he can have Alan Dershowitz. Uh, you know, he can have as many lawyers as he likes, but he doesn't have a case. And just a brief second question, supposing, it's, supposing this is the beginning of the end, as, as you're suggesting, do, do we need to worry about the next two months? Good question. A lame duck. Yeah unhinged um <laughs> an unhinged lame duck i like it <laughs> <laughs> i can help answer that i, 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 be, <laughs> I think you should always be uh, be uh, afraid of unhinged lame ducks it just sounds really scary <laughs> uh, <laughs> some, uh, I, i'm tempted to use a hunting metaphor i won't uh the uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh, the um no look I, a couple things here Look, I, I was a senior lawyer on the ground in Florida in 2000. And, you know, you learned, we learned a couple things from that experience. Uh, one of them is that these types of, the, the, these situations are fundamentally political. They're not legal. They're fundamentally, they're fundamentally won by the side that, that, that has the popular support, that gets its message across, uh, and, that, uh, and, and that fights one day longer, as we say in a strike. One day longer. Uh, and 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 one you know, and you know one ounce of will harder. Uh, I I think we've got that today. Uh, I don't think Donald Trump and his people have that. Um, a so secondly, secondly, you know, in Florida in 2000, the margin was 500 votes. And five when when the margin when the whole when the whole presidency hangs on 500 votes then all kinds of craziness and legal arguments and so forth appear to be significant. But that, that is not the situation we have here. We, we, we've, we've won solid, we've won solid, but small, but solid margin, small, but solid victories in, in multiple key states. And, uh, and I think we're likely to win at least one more. I think Pennsylvania is likely to end up uh, in, in Biden's column. And it's very hard to undo those things uh, in recounts and the like, particularly, uh, when the Democrats have won, because it's it typically in recounts uh, that the, the, the that it turns out that that you know it's it's Democratic voters who've been disenfranchised in the initial count, and who get brought who get brought back in. So so I, I'm not as you said about uh, about lawyers. I don't think that Trump and his lawyers have a case, and every case they've brought in the last 48 hours trying to affect the uh, the conduct of the election has been thrown out of court, including by some including by some very conservative judges who basically were embarrassed to be, have to be asked to do stuff like that. Um, the issue of, do we have something to worry about? Listen, until, uh, uh, until, uh, until Joe Biden raises his right hand on the steps of the Capitol on January, in January, we have something to worry about. We're dealing with a desperate and lawless man in Donald Trump uh, and a group of people who, who really, around him, who really, uh, uh, are at odds with our traditions of our democratic republic, and as long as you have people like that in power, you, you have to, you know, be ready for anything. And we are ready for anything. 
I, I, w I would also say that, that um, we, we have another problem, uh, which is that our country's in a lot of trouble. Uh, the virus is raging, our economy is, is, uh, is vulnerable, and, and, we have to, and we have to be concerned that we're going to have uh, a, 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 you know, a president who is essentially ignoring all of that, abdicating his responsibilities as he has all along here to protect and defend the American people. Uh, that that you you ask, oh, is there reason to be worried? That, that there's reason to be worried about that, right? There's reason to be worried about, you know, they say, they say about a lame duck that the United States has one president at a time, right? Not two, right? That the the president-elect is not the president until he's or she is sworn in, and it's very important to maintain that distinction. Well, that is that is use, that's usually true, but we are threatened in this situation with the prospect of zero presidents at a time. Uh, and, and that is, uh, and that is a reason for, uh, that is reason for, uh, concern. Uh, um, not that, not that I think we're going to see, not that I think we're going to see Joe Biden attempt to, to, you know, try, try to fill that vacuum. It's improper. Uh, but, but, but we need to be concerned about the possibility of a, of a president Trump who even more than in the last four years really, uh, it, it, it sort of abdicates his responsibilities during this period. Well, Damon, I mean, I mean, you can never tell with this guy when he's serious and when he's joking, but he talked about leaving the country, I think, going to his uh, golf course in Scotland. So, I mean, you could be talking about literally an absentee president, you know, leaving the country. Uh, I don't, well, how much more time do you have to spend with us? Because there's one more th thing I want to ask you before you do go. Yeah, yeah well, it's fine. Just go ahead. Okay, good. Uh, I want to talk to you about Scott Reynolds in just a minute, but I think that... Uh, oh, yeah. I know, uh, but I think other folks may have uh, things that they want to jump in. Mark, you had a follow-up, I think. Yeah, if I go, if can you hear me, Chris? I can tilt your camera down though, so we can see a little bit less. Oh, no, there's more just, of you a, there's just a blank on this. There's just a blank on the screen. Sorry about that. I was looking something up. Uh, to answer the previous question, yes, we've got to worry between now and then. Two, two of the non-election stories in this week's edition are going to be two Trump rules that were announced just within the last couple of days. He's given people only 30 days to comment on them one would basically blow expand the employer independent contractor dodge and the other uh, aft and other and other unions are trying to revive the permanent rule against all airborne viruses not just the coronavirus and of course trump is trying to they've had to go to court to try to do that because OSHA is sitting well, on it and it's sat on it for four years. I want years. to go back to, to Damon on this and we can discuss this as well. I mean, Damon, he, what, I'm, what I've been wondering is that, you know, a lot of the stuff that Trump did was, I mean, I think he's issued more executive orders than, than I mean, this is one place where I think he's probably right. He pro I mean, I think I read somewhere he's done more executive orders than all the rest of the presidents combined. Certainly it's been a lot. Um, but I was thinking that maybe an upside of that, I mean, aren't those easily reversed or undone as opposed to legislation? Now, tell me if I'm wrong on that. As a general, I mean, that it can be complicated, but as a general matter, yes, it's easy to revoke an executive order. Um, you know, the, 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 um, it, it doesn't require an act of Congress. Um, there can be, there can be, uh, you have to go through, a, you have to go through, you know, there's been a lot of litigation, for example, around DACA, right, uh, which was um, uh, an executive order uh, and, and Trump's attempt to undo it. And the fact that there was no there was no foundation to that. Mm -hmm. they, they can undoing one can be challenged. But in general, 
in general, it's seen as part of the normal powers of the presidency. And so, uh, but I think, look, I, I think that we're going to have challenges here because of the, the uncertain state in the Senate. Right. And so, some, yeah. right. And, and so I, I think, uh, I think that's going to, I think that's going to create some challenges around uh, dealing with Trump's destructive legacy. But, but, um, but uh, I, I, I believe that the vice president and uh, the vice president Biden and Senator Harris are, are up to that, up to those challenges. I, I, I think but we'll yeah. see a, a dramatically better uh, uh, governance of our country pretty rapidly. Damon, before you leave, tell everybody the difference between an executive order and a federal regulation, because a federal regulation is very hard to, is very hard to get off the books once it's there. And oh, okay. So, so in general, I mean, I, um, I, I didn't bring my administrative law handbook, handbook to this, uh, to this thing, I, but in general, okay. I left it in my other jacket pocket. Uh, the uh, the um, so an, a, an administrative rule, uh, which uh, it, it requires a process of notice and public comment, and it has to be um, tied very. It, it has to be tied uh, to the statute from under which it's issued. Uh, uh, an executive order, uh, and, and and once in place, to get rid of it, you have to go through uh, another process like that of of notice and public comment. And the public comments have to be taken seriously, and there are other and there are other issues. Uh, uh, many many uh, many statutes require uh, cost benefit analysis. It's it, it's, a, it's a it's a relatively complex complex and formal process. Uh, the president has the authority to issue executive orders governing the management of the government. Uh, those orders do not require public notice and comment. They are effective. They are essentially effective as issued, and can be withdrawn. Now, what, what you can't do with an executive order is, you know, racially discriminate, for example, or discriminate based on religion. That was the issue with uh, with the, the repeal of DACA. Uh, um, and, and you can't do things. You can't do things. You can't say you're going to do things for one reason. And the reasons that you state have no merit are lies. Right. You, 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 you know, that and this is the kind of thing that Trump got into. Right. Exactly. Uh, I think is Elise still here? Because I, I think I want to uh, to get some reaction from Elise. There's a, there's a question here, um, which I want to pose to to both of you, um, which is, you know, what are the next steps in the in the, in the protecting the the vote campaign? Um, and I'm wondering, you know, Elise, you know, we've been talking with you about the activism, you know, in, in the, with the Coalition of Labor Union Women. I'd just like to get your your thoughts about next steps. I, I think that, I, and actually, I, in the D. Taylor, Unite Here president, uh -huh. in, the, in, the, in the EC meeting said, we as the labor movement need not be reactive. We need to be in action on this. Uh -huh. We need to be initiating, not waiting to react to something. Um, I know that there were no major uh, uh, disruptions uh, by Trump forces, although, and I do, I do know that some people were harassed. Um, one of our members, one of the clue vice presidents, uh, was harassed by the management of a of an apartment complex where she was um, leafleting. I mean, it was next to the polling place. There, anyways, long story. But uh, and that they've been getting more reports and like that. But it's you know nothing major, skirmishes as opposed to big larger attacks is what we thought. But I think that yes, we need to be thinking and planning something major in all those cities, in Detroit, in Chicago, 
um, wherever they're going to try to um, force, you know, use force to their influence. But the other piece of this, and, I, and I, so I think that we, and I'm not in that place to make those kind of plans, but I think that, yeah, it, it, needs, to, it needs to be happening now. Um, but the, the other piece of it that, that, uh, that I was thinking about was the whole piece about patriotism. Hmm. And I, 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 you know, you know I, my first you know, action on college campus was against the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea of patriotism, waving the flag and all this kind of stuff uh, was, was not something I embraced. Plus, you know, I grew up in the African-American community. Our, our neighborhood in Detroit used to be predominantly uh, immigrants from um, Italy and Poland and Hungary, right? When we, when we moved in, we were like the second black family. Every holiday, they would have flags out. As they moved away, flags disappeared. And it occurred to me, I'm like, why don't we wave flags? And it was because as African-Americans, as my mother said, I won't stand up for a country that won't stand up for me. So I never felt a need to wrap myself in the flag. But I can see where strategically we need to be thinking about not allowing them to hold exclusively what patriotism means. Mm -hmm. Matriotism, I don't care. <laughs> but I, I think that that's part of the psychological game and the image piece that's being played out. And I think that, you know, in terms of what they sent in terms of messages, I didn't see any of it, but I, I heard that they had commercials directed at African-American male voters. Mm -hmm. Played during sports events. Yep. Right? And I'm like, ooh, really? <laughs> what, what do we got? You know, I mean, we're phone banking our freaking heads off, but as I learned from some other meeting with some brothers who were in filmmaking, we're talking that, the magic of film is in the editing. It's not just putting a picture out there, it's how you put that picture together. Right. And what kind of pictures are we putting together for our folks who are not reading as much? Somebody said to me, I was gonna throw something in the garbage, and I said, oh, don't worry about it, nobody reads. Right, and I'm like, well, okay. But people do, this, this visual media is really, is real and it's happening right now. So I'm just thinking like, where are we on that piece as well? I think that's a question to you, Damon, because you are, you know, at, at a position where, you know, those decisions and those plans are being made. And I guess one of the things that's come up uh, in our coverage uh, is, you know, this issue that, that you know well in the labor movement, which is, you know, every four years or every two years, and we, we mobilize really well around elections, but then we tend to demobilize pretty darn quickly, you know, after elections. Um, and that's, that's something that, that folks have been sort of wondering is, is, you know, are there plans to sort of try and take some of that energy? What, what, are, what are your thoughts? Well, what we've been saying at the FLCIO is that our job through these last few uh, weeks and, and, and going forward is, uh, is to win. And I, think, and I think while we didn't win everything, we won the things we needed to win. Mm -hmm. uh, was to win, just to defend, and that's what we're talking about right now is, is the defense of our democracy, the, the defense of our victory, and then to mobilize and, and to mobilize uh, on behalf of our agenda. Uh, it will not be enough to elect people. We have to mobilize to uh, ensure that, that they do what they said they were going to do and to prevent people like Mitch McConnell, who's not going away, uh, from blocking us. Uh, and so I, I think the answer is, yes, we have to mobilize. We have to mobilize to pass the HEROES Act immediately because the needs, the suffering that is involved here in the COVID has not gone away. Uh, and, and we have to mobilize to get 
the real agenda of, of building back better, as Vice President Biden says, uh, with with labor law reform, with the right to organize, uh, we have to have that. We have to mobilize for that agenda. So the idea of like we are all, now we're done. We'll all go back to brunch, as somebody said. Uh, it, that that, that for, for working people, that is not a that is not an option. We're not going back to brunch. Uh, and uh, and I would also say that in, immediately in, in defend agenda, uh, the FLCIO is is urging uh, you know unions around the country, the labor movement around the country, to take part in whatever's going on in people's communities around counting every vote, whatever, whatever kinds of actions are being done by allies and trusted people who you know aren't gonna, aren't gonna create provocations. We do not want provocations right now, uh, but, but, but the labor movement needs to be out there sending that message, to, well, two messages. First message is count every vote. Second message is we know that if every vote is counted that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have won. All right, before we let Damon go, any questions? Jeremy, uh, Evan, Gene, uh, yeah, Evan, go ahead. So Damon and Elise as well, and, and Mark, we need more than just regulation change. I think we need a jobs program, and I think we need infrastructure spending, and I, I'm just hoping that organized labor is really going to push Biden, to push the banks, to push the Federal Reserve, and to actually create a jobs program that we haven't seen since the 1930s from whether it's a WPA program, a CCC, and a, a Works Progress Administration with a Reconstruction Finance Corporation. I mean, we have the blueprint. I hope we move that, that direction. That's just a comment. And I hope that, uh, yeah, hope you're, you're looking at that as well. well. Well, let me just say, that's what I was just talking about a moment or so ago, okay. uh, when, I, when I talked about the agenda we need to move and building back better. Uh, I will say though that that there's an awful lot of that that um, it's important that the Federal Reserve uh, and the bank regulators and the banking system play a constructive role here. But if but if we want real public investment, we need real public investment. Uh, and and without that, we're not going to get what we need here. Uh, and, and that means that means investing the public's money uh, in the public's infrastructure. Uh, and, and when you talk about the CCC and so forth, that's what those things are. That's what those things were. Now, I think we're going to be, I think we're going to be challenged here a little bit, uh, particularly if we don't get to 50-50 to in the Senate, uh, that, that we're going to have to be creative and we're going to have to be aggressive uh, in terms of, uh, of you know, uh, getting, uh, getting to that, getting to 51 votes in the Senate for what we need to get done. Um, uh, but, uh, uh, um, but I think in this space, there's actually some possibility for some bipartisan work. And this is the top priority of the labor movement. Uh, Jeremy, uh, Gene, or, or, or Alan? Yeah, can I add something to what Damon was just saying? Sure. Uh, there, there was a, uh, there's a big push on, and they may try to get it in during the lame duck to set up, finally set up, after 12 years of talking about this, a national infrastructure bank to basically jumpstart the whole infrastructure program with federal funds that would that would leverage private money for everything from the tunnel under the Hudson to the to rebuilding the Woodrow Wilson Bridge to broadband to you name it. We'll see where it goes. But and Biden has also made a big deal about this, especially in Ohio and Pennsylvania. But it's not just Ohio and Pennsylvania. I can think of it. any place needs infrastructure. Um, mm -hmm. Going back to my old hometown of Chicago, we had an L tunnel collapse a couple of years ago. Luckily, nobody with there were any trains in it, 
<laughs> so and nobody got hurt, but still to have a tunnel collapse. Hello. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Um, uh, Damon, before before you go, before we wrap this hour, I just wanted to, I guess, a point of personal privilege, and I think uh, Lisa will probably want to weigh in this uh, as well. But on the second, we lost a a real a real uh, a real brother in the labor movement, Scott Reynolds, and uh, I know you had a very nice piece on his Facebook page, and and I just wanted to. I didn't realize that you had gone back that far with Scott, and I'd just uh, love for you to share some of your memories of, of, uh, of Scott, longtime colleague at the AFL-CIO, and, and uh, Lisa, I'd love, I know you knew Scott well, too. Well, I'll just say, Chris, Scott Reynolds worked as a, a mobilizer, an organizer for the, AFL, for the AFL-CIO. Uh, from the, uh, I don't know exactly when he came to the headquarters. He was working he was in the there. I think he was just there, you know, just, just you know. yeah. Well, he, he was working in the field. Uh, he was working in the field in Richmond, Virginia, for the state fed, for the Virginia State uh, AFL-CIO in nineteen eighty, in the summer of nineteen eighty-four. And you know, Scott died relatively young, you know, in in his late fifties. And I realized when I heard that that he had only been maybe twenty-two or twenty-three when I met him, in, in, in and he must have been just out of college. Uh, I, I thought, of course, I thought of him as a very experienced guy because uh, I was nineteen. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, he, uh, he was working for the AFL-CIO youth group at the time, Frontlash. Mm -hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, being a Southern trade unionist, particularly 1984, I mean, that's not easy. Uh, and, and Scott was, Scott was the guy who, Scott was the guy who, who like carried labor's message in the halls of the Virginia state house as a, like a kid in front of these incredibly ugly kind of Dixie characters who ran Virginia in the eighties. And, and, uh, and, uh, so I, I, and I met him then when I was doing voter registration with, uh, some veteran, some SNCC veterans who had organized themselves, Francis Fox Piven, and, uh, uh, Homer James and some other people had organized themselves into this group and gotten some foundation money to do voter registration, uh, in, uh, with people who, you know, through the, through social service organizations, and 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 so I, that's what I was doing in Richmond. I had no idea what I was doing. And Scott Reynolds, uh, uh, Scott Reynolds took me in hand and and was my friend and guide uh, uh, at that time. I'll never forget it. And 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 he kind of showed me like what it was like to be in the labor movement, which seemed pretty cool. I liked that. And and uh, and uh, and then I I met Scott again when I came to the AFL-CIO and. I mean, not coincidentally, right? Scott was an influence on on why I got there, and uh, and there was I came back came to the FLCIO in 1997. There was Scott, uh, and um, uh, he uh, um, you know he, he fought he just fought and fought and fought, and you never even realized he was fighting. Uh, he, 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 he helped save Social Security from George Bush. He, 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 he was there at the Battle of Seattle in, against, against the WTO in 1999. He, uh, he was a key guy making, uh, getting the passage of the Affordable Care Act. Uh, he, uh, he fought the, the, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. He, um, uh, you know, innumerable elections at every level. I mean, he, he was, he was but, but yeah, he, he helped get past Dodd-Frank financial reform. Uh, in the field, he did the field mobilization for that. He he was a he was a he was he was a universal a universal organizer, uh, and he was a lovely man. He was kind to everybody. You you, you understated uh, and funny as hell. 
Uh, and it's also, and uh, it's, also, it's also very fierce. That's the thing that was great about Scott was he right. was very kind, really good consumer, but he was fierce as, as anything. I mean, yeah, you know, he, Scott was Scott was uh, Scott was a prince of a man, and 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 he served working people his entire life. He gave everything that he gave everything he had, everything. Uh, and uh, um, I just uh, I was so sad when he died. He mm. he, he died. Uh, he died on Monday, and he died on Monday, and and uh, and he died with great dignity. Uh, he called the people that he cared the most about to say goodbye. Uh, um, you know, it really, uh, just the, just the best of us. Thanks, Damon. Elise, I know, I know he's a, a brother in the guild. And I gotta, I gotta yes. be off. Thank you, Damon. Appreciate it. Good to see you, Damon. Uh, John, uh, Elise, it's so great to great to be on the on the same camera on the same Zoom with you, Elise. Are we on Take the same care, continent? Huh? Are we on the same continent? Yes. Oh, yes. I'm I'm probably not more than like a few hundred yards from you. I'm at like uh, <laughs> I'm at like uh, what, where am I? Thirteenth and Thirteenth and Missouri. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Bye. Right. Bye. Bye. Take care, uh, Elise. Uh, I know I know you knew Scott well as uh, too. Yeah. You know, and and and. It, as I was listening to Damon, because he said a lot, I don't need to go on because I, the words of Mother Jones came to me, mourn for the dead and fight like hell for the living. Mm -hmm. And I know that's what Scott Reynolds would want. I mean, that's absolutely the kind of person he was and, and everything, dedicate training use. I, he was the one who initiated us having the dialogue around defunding the police. That's right. Statement in our, in our local. And, yeah. and, and I was so honored to be able to facilitate that discussion. Um, and we would have had it. I mean, we've just been bickering back and forth and people have taken sides. We came and we had over 110 people. We've never had that many people at any of our union meetings. Am I right, Mark? Because Mark's been there longer than I have. And so there we were in that room having that dialogue and working it out and working it through. And I thought, this is what democracy looks like. This is what trade union democracy needs to be about. So. Scott. And, and, and I really got to know Scott, you know, I mean, my, I'm, my official title at the Metro Council is Union Cities Coordinator and Union Cities, uh, you know, was a big program that was about actually taking these things called central labor councils, which to be honest, were pretty moribund. I mean, you know, they were, they were, you know, they were sort of to be seen but not heard, uh, had no resources and under Sweeney, you know, this uh, Union Cities program, you know, really looked to make, you know, labor councils, you know, a real force in the labor movement. And, you know, Scott, and you know, Scott, I mean, once Scott, Scott was like a dog on a bone, man, once he, and, and uh, you know, and, and, and here's what I'll say, you know, something like the Rochester Labor Council, which happens to be my home labor council, uh, that came out with this incredibly strong statement uh, not approved by the AFL-CIO, I want to say, you know, but but has been pushing and has been adopted by a bunch of other labor councils. You know, I, I think that that's a legacy of, of things like, you know, the Union Cities program that Scott, working with Marilyn Schneiderman and a bunch of other folks, um, and I think he, he was really, really proud of that. And, and I know, like you say, mourn for the dead and fight like hell for the living. So anyway, it's good, it's good to, to remember uh, those uh, who have come before us uh, as, as, they, as they go on. And it's one of the reasons I asked uh, my producer on uh, Your Right to Work, Peter Pocock, uh, to, to join us uh, because uh, as, as so many of us, uh, he wears many hats. Uh, and and uh, well, 
One of the things that once uh, Peter, who was also a mobilizer, uh, you know, worked with SCIU, uh, when he retired, uh, he started working in uh, his local hospital uh, because uh, Peter is actually, he now is an ordained Buddhist priest, uh, among, among other things. And I, I thought we could use an ordained Buddhist priest as we, <laughs> as we process our way through uh, this situation that we're in. So Peter, we're going to really pick this up on the other side of the hour, but uh, a few thoughts for us. Yeah, well, one of the things that uh, happens to you when you're ordained as a Buddhist priest or probably in any religion is that everybody thinks that suddenly you've got an answer. <laughs> no, don't wait a minute. Wait. A minute. All right, kick them off. Kick them off. <laughs> uh, the, the 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 basic point that I've been a lot of people have been coming to me today. Oh yeah. For that answer, right? And what I've mostly been saying to people is just get over it. <laughs> Leave your anger at home. Get out. Start doing the doing what you need to do as skillfully as you know how to do it. You're going to have to overcome a bunch of challenges, many of which you are putting in your own way. But mostly it's, it's get over it. Get out there and just stay active. Keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. I, like now, I, haven't, got, I haven't got any approval on that from, from any place on high or anything else. It's just, I, I think the whole thing about being Buddhist is that you, you are the on high, Peter. That's, that's yeah, I think I, No, you're kind of you're the down low, actually. Exactly, staying close to the ground. All right, uh, and then uh, John Coleman's back with us uh, from uh, Michigan just recently, I believe. Uh, and thanks, it, mostly, right? thanks mostly to John's work, uh, as I understand it, uh, <laughs> uh, delivered for, for Joe Biden. Is that right, John? Yeah, I think, um, <clears throat> I think a lot of the places like CNN and MSNBC have called it. I, I haven't seen it come through yet from the AP. Um, but the last I checked, I think Biden is up, I want to say by about 70,000 votes or so. Um, comfortable margin, John, a comfortable, <laughs> I'm kidding. That's yeah, uh, it's, but the big one was, um, was actually the center race, Gary Peters. I mean, he's only up by, you know, a 10,000 or so. It was, um, when I woke up this morning, I want to say he was down by a couple hundred thousand and I oh just couldn't believe it. Yeah, it was like um, 200,000 this morning. Yeah, I, you know, but a lot of times like Wayne County, Detroit, and that I-75 corridor with, you know, Saginaw, Flint, it, they really crank out the votes, but they take a while to count, you know, so like, ugh, you know. John, you, well, need to, you need to understand that uh, Sister Elise here is a, a born and bred Detroiter when she was talking about, you know, uh, coming up in the, with her family and those uh, immigrant neighborhood so and and you go back all the time don't you Lisa? i mean you, you've been you're, you stay so you, you know what he's talking about i know exactly where this i-75 corridor goes <laughs> <laughs> all right so everybody hang tight uh evan's gonna run a quick station identification and then we have a lot more to talk about uh as as we move forward so uh, evan if you can uh roll that Welcome to the Labor Radio Podcast Network's live 2020 election coverage, focusing on what organized labor is doing throughout the United States to ensure all votes are counted and labor's voice is heard. Reporting will be based on contributions from our national network of members. Views expressed do not represent official positions of the network. 
The Labor Radio Podcast Network has over 70 labor-focused shows in four countries and serves as a one-stop shop for audiences looking for labor content and as a resource for labor broadcasters, podcasters, and content producers. You can follow the conversation with the hashtag LaborRadioPod, where we are broadcasting working people's voices 24 hours a day. fight around this whole world tonight in the battle of bombs and shrapnel rain Hitler told the world around he would tear our union down but our union's gonna break them slavery chains and our union's gonna break them slavery chains I walked up on a mountain in the middle of the sky could see every farm and every town I could see all the people in this whole wide world That's a union that'll tear the fascists down, down, down That's a union that'll tear the fascists down When I think of the men and the ships going down While the Russians fight on across the dawn There's London in ruins and Paris in chains Good people, what are we waiting on? Good people, what are we waiting on? Oh, that's Woody. You can't go wrong with old Woody. And we uh, we had a good conversation yesterday about uh, calling a fascist out. So thank you, Woody. All right. Uh, we're back. Labor Radio Podcast Network with our post-election uh, discussion, uh, therapy session, music session. <laughs> you name it, we got it. Our guest, uh, Elise Bryant, Coalition of Labor Union Women. We've got John Comey, who's an organizer with SMART in the mighty state of Michigan. And um, uh, Peter Pocock, a producer at uh, Your Rights at Work. And uh, for the purposes of this conversation, as I say, an ordained Buddhist minister. So just to kind of help us, give us a... Pr- I know you're totally embarrassed, but, you know, I thought you'd wear the robes for us, Peter, you know, just to... Trying to give us a little perspective on. Uh, yeah, I gotta tell you about trying to put those damn robes on. It's it's, it's a whole complicated thing, right? Yeah, you just don't. Everybody has told me that it actually takes about three years to even learn how to put the damn things on. So this I'm this is actually on. this is actually why I'm not a Buddhist. They got too many damn rules: <laughs> the robes and the, the 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 eating and all of that that stuff. No, not 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 my game. I think we also have uh, Leon Fink. We wanted to get a little uh, labor history uh, perspective, and I believe we've been joined by Leon Fink. If uh, we can get him on, there he is. Hey, ha- happy to happy to join you. Good to have you with us, yeah. Leon. So we're going to be counting on you to give yeah. us a little historical perspective as we uh, we make our way forward. Let me go back first to uh, John, just because uh, this is big news about Michigan being called. Uh, for Biden. And then you were also t- talking about some of the sort of the down ballot uh, uh, with the Senate and so forth. So where, where are we at on that? Um, I haven't seen it actually technically called yet for the Senate, but uh, two senators, um, Debbie Stabenow and Gary Peters. Um, uh, John James ran against Debbie Stabenow uh, the last go around and lost. Um, and this was a tight race this time. So um, I would imagine they're probably going to call it probably tomorrow. There's one county, actually, ironically enough, 
so you all heard probably about the kidnap the governor thing that happened in Michigan. Right. Um, her, her lake cabin that she owns, her and her husband, is actually in Antrim County, which is it's the next county up for me. That county has a voting discrepancy to where Trump only got like 12 votes in that county. And it's a deep, deep red county. Hmm. So on the map, it's gray. So I think the reason technically, probably why like the AP or somebody aren't, they're not calling this race. AP just called it. They just called it. Okay. Whew. So, okay. <laughs> I'm so relieved. <laughs> I am relieved. Yeah. So there was a, there was a mess and I'm thinking like, of course, like the one county it's in is in like the house that they were scoping out, you know? So, um, so hopefully we got the Senate. Uh, and I think. It didn't call the Senate, but they called the, uh, the presidential. The presidential. Yeah. So we're, we're going to be good. I, Detroit, Flint, Saginaw, they, they came through and they came through big time. You know, I think the, the great state of Michigan owes them a massive favor, you know. So, you know, one of the things, and I want to, uh, to, to move on to some of our other folks, but, you know, Michigan has become, I don't want to call it a swing state, but I mean, it's the second time around. I mean, it was flipped to Trump last time in play, you know, for 24 hours. Uh, and I know, let's be honest, a lot of union brothers and sisters, you know, voting, voting Trump. Um, so you know, I know you spent a bunch of time, you're, you're, uh, you know, you're a statewide local, basically. What were you seeing out on the ground? And, and Elise, jump in, because I know you know this territory really well, too. It's 50-50. It's I mean, a lot of, I've noticed a lot of the retirees are still will vote Democrat. Um, a lot of the younger progressive members that maybe live in little more urban cities uh, within the, the mechanical trades that I deal with quite a bit more um, seem to be voting Democrat, but then there's a lot of these union members that come from a lot of these smaller towns, um, which is where we do a lot of recruiting because their work ethic, you know, they're, they're, they're farm kids or country kids, all this stuff, but they are killing us by voting Republican. And uh, we're actually on the inner rank, our, the, the brass, the rank, you know, we're talking, we're trying to talk about it because like it's, it's killing us, you know. Let me uh, welcome uh, uh, another guest, uh, a really good friend, and it's so glad to, to see you. Uh, Bill Fletcher uh, is a long, long time racial justice, labor, international activist. Everybody knows Bill. Uh, one of his many, many books, uh, including uh, took a foray into uh, mysteries uh, just a couple of years ago. Uh, but uh, one of my favorite titles, Bankrupting Us and 20 Other Myths About Unions and, and uh, also Solidarity Divided. I tried to get him on yesterday, but uh, Bill, Bill learned his lesson about, about doing stuff on election day. And you were just like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Right, Bill? No, that's exactly right. I don't do elections. You know I mean, I vote. <laughs> Smarter man than I. I watch Star Trek Discovery because it's like it, the anxiety kills me. But the day after an election, I'm ready to rock and roll. And that's yeah, how yeah. I feel now. You know that, that, that Elise is a fellow Trekkie, right? Of course. You guys, you guys have the whole, there you go. All right, all right. Absolutely. All As right, my so Klingon ancestors would say, Kapla. That's a, we'll, do, we'll do another show on that whole thing. But listen, let all me, right. so, so, so get, lay some truth on us. What, what, are, we, uh, what are we looking at here? Um, we, well, it, it didn't turn out to be a blue wave, but it looks like yeah. Biden won. Uh, if everything goes right. I think we're looking at uh, millions of people decided to vote against reality. And I think, I think we have to face that. And I think that we have to 
step away from what I've already seen a number of people throwing uh, most of the blame that things didn't work out as well as expected on the leadership of the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. And while I'm not normally known as a defender of the leadership of the Democratic Party, I think what we have to face is something a lot of us on the left have not, and definitely in the labor movement, there is something called a right-wing populist mass movement that has an armed wing and millions of participants, and they're out there, and they have a completely different context, uh, concept of reality than we do. For them, there is no COVID crisis, it's just a bad flu. For them, the allegations against Trump around his disparaging uh, the deceased servicemen and women is nothing but uh, uh, fake news. Uh, the fact that he may be, what, $400 million in debt and isn't explaining to whom he's in debt, all of these things are irrelevant as far as these folks are concerned. These are people that are not going to be talked out of this through good messaging, through cute commercials, through a little, you know, uh, hug and feel. I mean, these are people that have descended into the depths of hell. And we've got to face that and deal with the reality that some of those people are our own members. And we've got to step away from this, try and explain it away and blame it all on, on neoliberalism. People made choices in the same way that masses of people in Nazi Germany made choices. And we should stop excusing it. This is a horror. We've got to confront it. We've got to out-organize it. We've got to smash these people nonviolently. I see a lot of nodding heads. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to just open it up here. I know Alan, I saw John, I think Elise, but uh, let's, uh, let's, let's rock and roll here. Thank you, Bill. Uh, my first reaction to that is how do we face it um, inside the labor movement and outside? Um, can, can, we, can they be talked to? Um, can this be solved through conversation? Um, what, what are some strategies? Because I completely agree, um, but just how, like, how do we face it moving forward? Uh, let me, let me uh, let, while, while Bill is cogitating on that, yeah. uh, let me get our labor historian there. Uh, Leon, you got thoughts? Well, I, I agree with uh, uh, Bill. I mean, I think there are different arenas uh, for us to maybe consider. And uh, one is uh, uh, what uh, you might call the cultural question. I mean, it, it has to do with um, uh, how people identify, how do they see their own uh, American identity in what kind of national framework, what kind of uh, national, international, racial, uh, class uh, framework. I mean, these are all kind of competing and overlapping um, identities. Uh, I think that's one whole arena that we, which worth our uh, discussion. Another arena, I mean, that I was um, thought a little more uh, for joining the conversation just in terms of the immediate aftermath of the election is, um, Assuming um, Biden um, steps into the presidency um, with this, um, uh, in, in, a, in a very weak um, uh, position in terms of the, the, the larger national government, um, what do we think he should do and what do we, we think um, workers and the uh, labor uh, movement should and can do, the progressive movement more generally, what can we do? And I think there are, um, uh, uh, I would just to jump in to try to be um, uh, provocative for the uh, moment. Um, I, I think that obviously it's going it, to it's it's likely to be in the executive and regulatory arena that um, 
he's going to have the possibility of making doing having meaningful um, uh, taking meaningful initiative. Um, but perhaps the aside from what Biden can do is what he can not do, and by that I mean um, that I think that the slogan um, uh, for the Democrats should be should he should take the um, adopt a slogan of the um, the Seattle Seahawks and the uh, NFL right now, if you're following, um, the big slogan is let Russ cook, referring uh, <laughs> to quarterback Russell Wilson. Um, and um, let Russ cook. That, that's basically what the Democrats need to do is let California and some of these other blue states cook. Let them take the initiative. And what the president can best do, what the Democrats in control of the executive authority can do is to stop, stay out of their way. Um, stop the use of preemption or federal authority to step in where lay, th there, there are plenty of areas in the country now that can take advantage of the political authority of uh, labor identified political administrations. They need to push that um, you know, to a way in which we haven't seen attaching all kinds of labor um, and uh, 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 worker welfare measures to legislation. So Leon, but before we go back to Bill, we got Jean actually, uh, and Jean, I want to bring you in on this because uh, uh, Jean, I think wants to actually uh, maybe be, uh, has a different point. Uh, Jean, are you there? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm on. I just can't get my video on. That's fine. We can hear you. We can hear you. Go turn ahead. me off. Uh, I want to disagree with this idea that you can't deal with the, uh, that you can't deal with the, the Trump people. Even if you can't, you have to. I mean, what are you going to do? Put them in concentration camps? There's like 47% of the population, you know. So whether whether it's possible or not, it has to be done. They have to be convinced to come over to, to the working family side. Bill? You know, it's an interesting thing. Um, I think that I, I want to respond to two things, the last point and actually the very first point. And I agree very much with what Leon was raising. Uh, it seems to me that we have to come to grips with the fact that pretty much 25% of the electorate are zombies. Um, and and <laughs> if you, if you really look, okay. no, really. Stop holding no, that no. Okay. No, 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 it's true. It I've, I've studied zombies. I have a doctorate in zombieism, right? <laughs> and, and one of the things that I've understood about zombies is that once they become zombies, they lose their humanity. There is no going back. They don't become humans again. And if you look at the electorate, about 25% of the electorate is consistently and sickeningly right wing and will not change at all. Now, does that mean that, like, so say that there's another 10% or so that are on the verge of zombieism. There's people that you can deal with tactically, Gene. Uh, and I was talking with a, a friend of mine in Oregon earlier today about this. He was talking about how he has been able to work with some Trump people to do some organizing, basic union organizing. But he, he cautioned and said, the problem, though, is that when you get beyond that, that's where the divisions start to become very evident. So yeah, Gene, I think that at a very basic trade union level, we obviously have to work with these people. We can't take them out of their misery. You're right. But 
the reality is that we need to be focusing much more on the 70% of this country that actually is in touch with reality, even when we disagree with them. We've got to be moving people and shifting the discussion as opposed to seeing more and more people uh, subsumed, being subsumed by zombieism. And that's my worry, that too many of us have looked at this as an individual task or worse, that we try to down, and this is what I would argue has happened in AFL-CIO since 2016, to demobilize, to downplay the, the need to take on race and right-wing populism, to see that as being divisive, and, and to try to find some common ground. There is no common ground at a strategic level. We've got to take these folks on. We've got to have a fight. And we got to be not, we have to step away from this fear that white men are going to run out of the room screaming insanely when we start talking about race and gender, which I think is the dominant discourse in the leadership of organized labor. This absolute fear that white men will run out of the room screaming, never to return. I think we got to get away from that. Let me bring uh, John in because I know, John, you've been doing organizing, I think, among some of the very people that are being talked about here. And then I do want to bring uh, uh, Peter in because I'm, I'm, I mean, a lot of this is very koan sounding to me. But go ahead, John. I was just going to say, you know, I, Bill and Jean, I really agree with both their points. And I just, I had an example. We had a campaign at a shop about two years ago. It ended up falling apart. But one of the main people that got that campaign going in that shop um he's a member now and uh his two favorite presidents are fdr and reagan and <laughs> and so when i talk to him every time i bring up a point about like the labor movement or voting he shifts the goalposts like one day he's a fiscal conservative the next day it's abortion the next day it's it's guns it, he can never stay consistent and i cannot have what seems like a rational conversation and get to even a baseline because that baseline it's just it's all over the place and um, he was one of the people that when we first organized this shop um, you know he had a driver's license he had certifications he had all these things and the willpower and he seems like one of the most the most kookiest people there you know like and I, I and that's what we're facing constantly with these people now so I actually wanted to go to, uh, well, let me go to Elise, but then I want to bring Jeremy, because Jeremy, I know you got members in the same, you've had these same conversations uh, on your show, but uh, Elise, uh, I know you would want to jump in on this too. Yes, and I'm going to have to jump off after this. Okay. But I, didn't, I didn't want to say this. I think it is really important, the work that you all are doing. This, this podcast, all the podcasts that are happening, because there's not an alternative voice out there strong enough to give people another message than what they're getting what they're getting from television. And it's not just white people getting it from television, it's black people getting it from television, brown people getting it from television. That's where they're getting their information from. And all of that is skewed by the corporation that own them. It is, and, and this is what Donald Trump and his enablers have been very effective at. Race is a, is a political construct. Mm -hmm. It's not a biological construct. It's not a social construct. It was constructed explicitly to keep the working class divided. And Thanks. Michigan is a perfect example of yep. that. Yep. When, when, when they announced that Michigan had gone right to work, I was sitting in Detroit Metro Airport. I was reading the newspaper, because I still read. And somebody, <laughs> this guy, white guy across me was reading his newspaper. 
and I didn't, I didn't notice him until I lowered my newspaper to look up at the screen. And he did the same thing. We both looked like, what the? <laughs> Michigan, right to work? How could that be? It has been a concerted effort. And Fox News is one of the biggest enablers of it to keep the white people in the out parts of Michigan, which has been conservative, that's not anything new, divided from the center cities where the African-American populations are concentrated, mm -hmm. right? And I remember being home visiting one time and it was New Year's Eve and, no, I was someplace else. <laughs> so wherever I was, they had Fox News on and they had these two ambulance, white ambulance drivers sitting in their, in their truck with the lights going off. And they said, yeah, we're right here outside of where the post office is on 4th Street in, in Detroit, which is five blocks from where I grew up. And, they, and this gun's going off everywhere. It's just, it's just, it's crazy. We don't know where to start. And I thought, uh-uh, you're in Detroit, Michigan, on, on New Year's Eve, when midnight strikes, you're gonna hear guns go off. Because that was our tradition. Boom, boom, boom. And my father, we had one gun in the house. My father said, you don't take it out unless you aim to kill somebody. But every New Year's Eve, he went on the back porch and at midnight shot the gun off as everybody in my neighborhood did. They knew that. But they made it sound like, oh, Detroit, oh my God, there's a gun going off. I'm like, motherfuckers, please. This is a lie and you know it's a lie. But they're putting it out there as if it is the truth and this is the way it is. So all those white people had to go, go, that's right. It's crazy in Detroit because black people lost their minds. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they so, got guns. We have all, we have that image to work with and that's what kept, keeps Detroit divided. It keeps Michigan divided. And so you have these people voting for Donald Trump when they know it. They would poison them as soon as they would poison us. Thank you, family. I'm on. Elise, thank you so, so much. Wonderful to see you. All right. Elise Bryant, Coalition of Labor Union Women, and oh, so many other things. Ben Blake, uh, you you know uh, what they're talking about too. I mean, that's I, I hear you, I see you. I know you had your hand up, but I know you have a similar experience. I lived in Detroit many years, and I, I or about seven years, and I absolutely agree with what Elise said. New Year's was a day to show that the community was armed for self, you know, in self-defense. That it was a signal that basically, you know, it, it was a positive signal, you know. I mean, it's a celebration, but it was also a signal. And uh, um, <clears throat> I did want to comment on um, the, the concept of working with extremely conservative slash racist uh, workmates. Uh, basically, you know, I come out, you know, socialist tradition. So the what we try to do was use, uh, it was very much like the fellow from Michigan's talking about, you use, say, if a worker is very conservative, maybe even overtly racist, but is pro-union, so you try to use the pro-union aspect against the racism. You know, uh, I'll give an example. I worked in a steel mill. The guy who trained me how to operate a crane was a raving racist. He used the N-word all the time, constantly. And so, well, you do little tricks like you go, oh, well, you know, why don't you go tell Joe down there, you know, use the N-word in front of him, you know, the, you know, strong black man, one of the strong black men I work with. And of course, he's like, oh, no, I'm not a racist. Oh, I wouldn't do that, blah, 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 blah. And, and you make the point about the hypocrisy of using the N-word privately among white workers, but not openly with black workers, because, you know, they know the consequences of that. But he was, his parents were Irish, Irish Catholic. So I would talk to him in the crane when he was training me and say, 
Well, why did the North in Northern Ireland, why did they call it the Civil Rights Movement? Where did that name come from? And I asked that, him that question. He didn't know. I said, that came from our Civil Rights Movement, the respect that the Irish nationalists had, and IRA uh, provost, uh, you know, had for um, the American Civil Rights Movement and seeing the beginnings of that Civil Rights Movement modeling themselves after the American Civil Rights Movement. And you could see a light bulb go on, you know, with him. But now that doesn't, it's like the fellow from Michigan said, that doesn't last. You get a light bulb, it goes on for a couple seconds, but you have to consistently make the arguments, but also bring them to act action, you know, like through struggle together, black and white. You know, it's the old traditional socialist approach, black and white, unite and fight. Um, which today is kind of obsolete in some ways because the young generation is so much more anti-racist than say my generation. But the other thing, um, when I worked in the, I worked in Teamsters, you know, local seven, I, uh, I don't know how, you know, nobody believe all this shit. But anyway, I worked in 705 in Chicago. Um, you know, we were organizing uh, in the UPS Teamsters, uh, this is for the International Socialists. And um, <clears throat> I was in 705, I was in the local portrayed in the Irishman, it was a mob local, stone cold mob local. Um, we had a campaign to uh, get elected union stewards, and you had to do that in a vote in the union hall, two-thirds vote to change the bylaws. So we organized that. We, got, we thought we'd get 10 people. We got like 100. So we couldn't believe it. We were totally unprepared. It became a fiasco. We lost the vote because they fixed it. But I, one of my coworkers who I talked to earlier who had been in a demonstration in Marquette Park, if you've seen Blues Blooders, the film, Mm -hmm. where they have that Nazi. That's Frank Collins. That guy was a real guy. He wasn't a comic figure. He was terrorizing black workers going through the Marquette Park neighborhood in South Chicago. We as socialists organized a march into that community, and we got the crap kicked out of us. Twelve of us went to the hospital. It was a really, it was a, it was partly, I mean, our fault because we weren't planned and prepared. But later, I found out my coworker at UPS, I was working side by side with him, on a sort slide at the Franklin Park UPS hub. And we got to talking and he was on the other side. He was throwing beer bottles and bricks at us, you know, but his background was Irish. And later at that union meeting where we had elected stewards, he came with his Irish shillelagh to defend me. And he followed me around to make sure the mob, you know, he was gonna defend me against the mob in that union meeting. Now he was by all accounts, you know, very racist and stuff. But that's the kind of thing that you can win people over, uh, to, white people, to become anti-racist. Well, Ben, so I want to go back to Bill and get Jeremy in as also because you know I think this is this is the conversation, Bill, and and you're a longtime educator, you know, in, in all kinds of ways, and and you know I, I I think you're only maybe half joking when you talk about zombies. I think you're probably serious as a heart attack. I mean, what you I want you to say what you mean by by that because. You know, one of my best friends is a libertarian, and I gotta tell you, sometimes I just—I I mean, we'll be having a conversation. I'm just like, okay, we are done here because he's my best friend. I love him in a lot of ways, but I'm like, you know, you believe, you believe this thing that is not true, and I ain't gonna convince you, and you ain't gonna convince me. We need to move on, right? And so I, I want you to—I think a lot of us are having these kind of, whether they're personal or professional conversations. When I look at that map of America. I, you know, Lisa and I were joking today. We, you know, this country just needs to just break up into the different countries and, and then, you know, 
um, maybe we really do have two very different countries here. Well, we do. And we've had since the very beginning when this uh, country was settled. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole mentality of the settler state uh, that we still have. And Trump, what Trump has successfully done is, I like to say, he's pulled the picture out of the closet, the picture of Dorian Gray. And so we can all look at it, right? We see it. We see it in all of its ugliness. Uh, but he, you know, he, he's quite proud of that. Um, so let me just be clear. As someone who is constantly doing racial justice educational programs for unions, um, I believe very much in member education and engaging our members in debate um, and, and hoping to win them over. And I'm actually optimistic that we can win most over. What I'm identifying though, is that there are people who it's not, they don't have inconsistent ideas. They now have consistent ideas. And those ideas are very shaped by right-wing media. And those ideas are um, antithetical to solidarity, to internationalism, to class consciousness. To the extent that they have class consciousness, it's along the lines of classic worker races, like um, the man whose name I'm I'm forgetting, who was the head of the uh, Siemens Internet, Siemens Union of the Pacific, um, Andrew Firth. Uh, who, uh, if you would read some of his writings, would sound like a Marxist until he started talking about Asians. And then he was a complete white supremacist, right? Uh, And so I think we have to understand when the debate ends. And it relates to your point, Chris, that sometimes you realize, I I did a program in Seattle a couple years ago that the uh, Washington State Labor Council sponsored on race and labor. And at the end of the, um, the program, this white woman came up to me and she claimed that the opening panel had attacked her and other white people. And I kept asking, well, how did it do this? And, um, and she couldn't really explain. She just kept repeating, she was being attacked. And at a certain point, I realized, uh, when I, I was basically testing her by asking certain questions, I realized this was a Trumpster. And that there was nothing that I could argue that was going not, to shake her. It was no. not a conversation. No, exactly. And I realized the conversation needed to end when she said to me, well, you don't have to get violent about this. Now, for, for a white woman to say to a black man anything about violence, yeah. the name Emmett Till oh, yeah. starts blinking in your oh, head, yeah. right? Oh, and yeah. I, I said to a friend of mine, I think it's probably time for us to vacate the premises, right? Um, but it was, it, was, right? it was, exactly. It was very clear that the discussion was over. And, 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 and I guess what I'm thinking is that there's a lot of very good progressive people that spend an inordinate amount of time on hard right-wing people that we want to believe can be won over. We really want to believe that there's a way we can touch them with reality and all of a sudden they will put their arms around us and say, my God, Alan, thanks so much. Now I understand what you've been saying. Right. And the problem is that doesn't happen. See, this is why I said there was a zombie test before the election. And I'm gonna shut up after this. This is a very simple zombie test. You ask someone three questions. 
All right. Now, I asked them when it was revealed that Trump was disparaging veterans and deceased service men and women. What was your attitude? Okay, right? that's number Second one. Second question was when it was revealed on tape that Trump had lied to us about the COVID crisis and knew the dangers of it. What was your response? Okay. And the third three. question was when you found out that this man owes maybe $400 million and won't reveal to whom, what was your response? And if someone can't answer those questions, you realize immediately that they're zombies, that there's no point in another discussion. It really isn't. You just back in away. In the face of that, that's it. You back off and you say, <laughs> danger Will Robinson. I got to bring Peter Pocock on this because actually when you were talking, Bill, you were reminding me that in his uh, previous life, uh, he brought exactly the kind of folks that you're talking about to Capitol Hill um, and, and, and did training on, on uh, you know, doing legislation. So, Peter, I'm wondering if you can sort of combine those two things um, and, and give us some response here. And then I, we've got a bunch of other folks that want to weigh in. Yeah. I, I saw you kind of lean forward there. You were well, leaning. I'm leaning, forward. I'm leaning forward because, yes, I respond very much to what Bill's talking about. And I'm also going to have to cut out in a couple of minutes. But... Uh, we had a we had a program which sadly lost its funding uh, at SEIU called the Member Lobbyist Program, and we were bringing in eight to twelve members of the union who were basically recommended by their locals, but not necessarily. It was clear that some of them were activist types who the local leadership was more than happy to have go away for a few months, and. Uh, they would come into DC and we would work with them uh, through popular education methods, Paulo Freire's uh, techniques, to get them started on understanding that the things that they were facing in all the diverse places that they came from were very much um, the same things, basically. And so we had, we had um, an incredibly diverse bunch of folk, including some some people who were nearly monolingual in Spanish, and we managed to create these incredible teams of people who would once once they had been through the team building stuff and had then uh, worked on some education about just how the legis the legislative process works, they go up on Capitol Hill, and I remember. Several times after the first visit, you'd have somebody come out, having just met a Congress creator from their own uh, their own district, and they'd say, "What's so special about him?" And the power that we were developing in those folks, we uh, when we sent them back to the locals, uh, often the local leadership was not actually that pleased with these folks that they had sent out to uh, get out of their hair, and now they were back in their hair and knew how to organize. But the, uh, the, the reality is, was that we found was that it was really essential to get members working with members as much as we possibly could, get them away from um, the leadership that has, that has, uh, has its own assumptions about who's capable of what. That's gunfire in my neighborhood, which is not a gunfire kind of neighborhood. Um, it's not New Year's. But, and it ain't New Year's now. Um, I, I think that that I don't have any special expertise in the education area, 
but my experience at SEIU was very much that uh, that when working people get to work with other working people on figuring this stuff out, because they were putting together their own programs by the end of these things, when they're working with each other on this sort of stuff, they are empowered in ways that they didn't even know was possible. And uh, it was really exciting to see. I, we, we went through about seven or eight classes of these folks. And um, then we ran out of funding and I retired and a bunch of other stuff happened. But uh, it's, a, it's a, pro, a model that I recommend very highly. Thanks, Peter. And I appreciate that, it. Thanks for spending time with us. Um, we're going to come to Liam, but I think uh, Evan, uh, Evan, and then uh, Alan uh, had, uh, I think, questions or comments. Thanks, Peter. So, uh, Bill, I really appreciate your analysis, and I do agree that there's there is a zombie double think going on with a quarter of the population, and it's attributable to false consciousness in a way that the class consciousness. Um, is, is not targeting Wall Street as it needs to. And that's on both sides, on both parties. They're not talking about Wall Street. They're not talking about neoliberalism on the leadership side of both parties. And the idea of like eudaimonic legitimation or eudaimonic legitimacy of rising standard of living for everyone, I think that is gonna be one of the ways that we're gonna to need to reintegrate these former cult members. And it's not gonna be directed at the 25%. Everyone needs to benefit from it. Everyone needs a job. Everyone needs healthcare, everyone needs housing, and the government needs to figure out how to be organized to provide that. And there's an anecdote when Roosevelt started building the TVA in this backward, unreconstructed um, Confederate stronghold that a lot of people hated the government and extremely racist. But as they started getting a, a sense and a taste of modernity, they started buying into it. And as they started getting jobs and some of these other things, and I'm not saying that they should get priority jobs. I think the, the Republicans need to pay a price for this ultimately. Um, but that's, that's just kind of a comment I have. And I know Leon and Jeremy and others are, are trying to get on to yep. Did you want to respond to that real quickly before we, we go on? Who, me? Uh, Bill. Okay. okay, all right, uh, Leon, go ahead. Well, yeah, I like what Evan just said, because it kind of fits into, uh, I was going to try to connect the idea of um, uh, what um, kind of progressives can do in this space with this, uh, what I call the cultural question about a class and identity that Bill was raising, um, and uh, the zombie question, um, because it seems like Evan's point is that um, these people uh, it's, they can be confronted directly or they can be confronted by action. And uh, like the TVA example seems to me is an excellent one. Um, like put them to the test about actual um, uh, programs, uh, uh, about healthcare, about jobs, um, about uh, labor standards. Um, I think um, then this, the bravado or just the, um, superficial uh, getting in line behind Fox News, I think might be, um, might, might break down. But I guess I was gonna come back to a question about this because, I, and I actually was gonna um, throw the ball back to Gene, uh, uh, who I, I don't, we haven't met before, but I, I appreciated your willingness to um, say that you thought these people needed to be, um, so we need to be in dialogue more with the um, 
the Trump um, uh, base. Um, and the question, I, I guess I was going to ask you how, how you thought that, that could proceed. And, and I, I had the impression from what, what's the, the before, who, who just left the conversation from the AFL-CIO, what, what was his name? Damon. Uh, Damon Silver. Damon, yeah, Damon. Um, I imagine this is a problem that confronts, you know, very practically the AFL-CIO um, uh, has for some time. I mean, it, it came out. I mean, both Bill and I have talked about the police union question, um, and mm -hmm. but that's one of the flashpoints. Um, where does where does labor draw the line at its, um, you know, at, at at the dialogue, and where does it where does it have to um, say, you know, no more, you know, we're not uh, we're not mm -hmm. going there, and that we need to stand with certain with basic progressive principles. But I I, I wanted to kind of throw the ball to those of you who are more involved than more than I am um, in the interaction of uh, workers and potential constituents. Um, but so Gene, I wanted to hear more what you would have to say in reaction to, in, re in response to Bill. Go ahead, Gene. First of all, I never said I knew how to do it. I never even said it could be done. <laughs> I just said it has to be done. It's one of those immovable objects and irresistible force things, but it has to be done because we're not going to take them out and shoot them. We are going mm -hmm. to have to unify this working class one way or the other. I don't know how to do it because it isn't just their side. It's our side too. People don't believe in reality. They believe in superstition. They translate, people translate their feelings as logic. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's, it's, it's really very, very unfortunate that they don't, that there aren't more materialists. But the truth is that we live in a world that teaches us to be superstitious, to be religious, to be, uh, to confuse our feelings with our, uh, with, with, uh, with reality. Uh, and, but we are going to have to pick our way through that. And it's not just their side either. It's our side too. Let me get Bill. Just, I, I want see, to get Bill responding. Can about, I say something about, can I say something about police unions? Well, since he- well, since hold, hold off on the police unions. That's a whole okay. other kettle of fish and, and, and we're onto something right here because I also want to bring Jeremy and John mm -hmm. in because uh, both of those guys are dealing with the, with the same folks. But go ahead, Bill. Yeah, I think, Gene, it's important to make a distinction between uh, ultra-leftists on our side of the pond and uh, what goes on in the right. Um, one of the things that goes on in the right is very strong conspiracy theory methodology. Right. And this is true going back to the 19th century, uh -huh. um, that you look at uh, populist movements generally, but particularly conservative and right-wing populist movements, and this engagement with unreality um, and, and a lack of a real analysis. And that's part of what we're dealing with. Now, I mean, I think that you, to your point, we've got to deal with these folks. Yeah. The question is how? Um, and, and one of the things I think is really important, uh, it, for me it was very important, was to find out that within a Nazi party in Germany, there was a worker wing. It was led by the Strasser brothers, Otto and Gregor. And they believed very strongly that the Nazi party needed to be the party of the German working class. 
and they defined the German working class in ways that were obviously anti-Semitic and anti virtually everything else. But they had this notion of a working class uh, movement. And they were very, very upset with Hitler, uh, that Hitler betrayed the objectives of the so-called national revolution and aligned himself with the Reichswehr and the German uh, bourgeoisie. In, in the right-wing movements, that current exists to this day. There are workers who are uh, very militant and may even sound very anti-capitalist, but when you actually uh, start um, unpacking what they're saying, it's quite dangerous. Uh, and, and, and so I think it's really important for us to be very clear when people have sort of inconsistent views that are sometimes racist. I mean, we run across that all the time. Someone who is a racist or a sexist uh, in their behavior or their words, but they do other things. I mean, we're all humans. There's all kinds of contradictions. I'm not talking about that. I mean, that any, any good, I mean, there are no pure workers out there, you know, pure great proletarian leftists. But what there are are those on the right that have a fairly consistent view um, and some that are advocating a civil war. These are people that are not going to be won over to the right side of the force, Gene. They're not. Now, I'm not advocating violence, but I am saying they are, right? They are advocating violence. They are advocating the annihilation of people like us. And at some point, the union movement needs to face that reality and figure out what the hell does that mean for us? And I want to, and that's why I want to bring both Jeremy and, and John in because Jeremy, I know you, you've dealt with some of this, you know, and, and your local part of creating your podcast was a way to talk to folks in your local. Uh, and, and then John, you've raised some of this as well. So go ahead, Jeremy. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm, I think the difficult conversations are the important ones. And, and so that's what I, I'm, I would, I like to use the the podcast as a way to have those conversations when I have a willing dance partner uh, on the other on the other side. You know, uh, having conversations with myself, I've done them. Uh, they're they're usually not the most interesting. But, but what Jeremy, you need to tell what you're talking about because we know. But I mean, he's he's been trying. You've been trying to get folks. Oh, so yeah, so I, I yeah I I put uh, multiple invitations out to my membership uh, that were tro uh, pro Trump supporters to come and and change my mind basically show me the light and i haven't gotten any willing takers and but and so to 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 so you guys are talking about uh on a big scale right like the what we've seen with our population in this vote and i want to bring it in a little like to to relate to what uh, john and i deal with inside our organizations the um the the members that we have that that go against everything that we're fighting for and part of it is in, in my belief i i heard it described uh just recently the what we're witnessing is trump and his supporters are fueled by narcissism right it's a it's a very selfish self-centered class of people in our society and trump is the ultimate narcissist like he was he was able to during his uh four-year term he was able to literally make every single thing about him 
even the virus was about Trump. The, this thing was created to affect Trump. Uh, like, so every little thing that happened, he made about him. That's like the ultimate, uh, he's like the, he's like the crown jewel of, of the, uh, of, of narcissism. And when you, when you bring it into like what, what John and I deal with, because I deal with the same stuff John uh, has, it's, it's, it's that narcissism that um, I don't, I don't even believe like some of these folks, I don't believe they give a shit about being in the union. They want the pay, they want the benefits, but there's not like a, a union proud connection to some of these people. So they just believe that they're doing us a favor by being here. And I would, they, 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 they would think that they're going to get the benefits and the pay that we get for them on their own. But before they came to us, that was not the case, you know, so they've lived through it. And then they get to us and they're like, yeah, now you guys are getting me what I'm entitled to. You know, it's like this whole, so, so I, I'm with Bill that the conversations are like, you can't have a conversation with, with someone that doesn't want to have the conversation because they have all the answers. They know everything and, and you don't know what you're talking about. And it goes right up. I mean, we see it even on the, uh, with the international, the international pushes out things like for the election. And it's like, as soon as I see something go out from our international uh, on social media, I go right to the comments so I can see members attacking the, the movement that we're trying to get behind or create. And, and it's like, man, these, like they're literally punching themselves in the dick at every step. Mm. And you say that like it's a bad thing, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it's, it's like, Man, it makes you want to. I, when John was telling, uh, was speaking earlier, I felt like I was smashing my own head into a wall listening to him talk to because I, I have the same stuff. We have the same shit going on here, and it's like, you know, these these conversations. You know, you'd love to have them, and you'd love to figure out a way to get them to see the light. But I mean, some guys just don't give a shit about anything outside of their own little their own little space and John and then Patrick Chris I'd like to okay yeah I you know you're you're talking about member education we actually do a, a four-day member education class when our uh, our members are apprentices and actually Jeremy came up to one of our classes and whenever we have this we have between 40 and 60 apprentices every year when you do this and by the end of the week you feel pretty positive that you've changed a handful of them. Uh, like an, an example, we usually try and bring in some speakers and this and that. And so with the last election cycle in 18, I went around the state and I picked out a Latino woman who was a Democrat. I picked out a gay man who was a Democrat. These are house reps. Uh, a female person that represents the, uh, her district is the mining district in the UP. And I brought them in to speak about the labor movement and unions and this and that. And some of these hardcore conservatives, there was this, this gay, gay house rep had them convinced on rank system voting. And, and like these people down from like Battle Creek and Kalamazoo and myself and the agent, we were in the back of the room just laughing because he had these guys wrapped. And I was like, you know, like you get these people out of their bubble and you can, because they're not going to puff up in a crowd, I've noticed, these people. They'll do it behind closed doors. But you get them in this room, and you actually start talking, and all of a sudden, you see their heads bobbing, and you're like, wow, I think I, I, think I got through to a couple of these people. 
And then, and then they leave and you see them on Facebook or at a union meeting a year later and they're right back to it, you know? And it's like, you, they, they're sucked right back into these little bubbles and I, you know, and it's, um, I'm not giving up. Like I, about three weeks ago, I got into an argument on social media with somebody that I barely knew from years ago and I was speaking reasonably and my buddy was texting me and he's like, you're not quitting either, are you? And I was like, you know what? I've had it with these people. Like I'm not backing down an ounce to any of them until they say they're done. I'm like, I've, I've done it. I've played the nice card and I said, I'm through with it. Like I'm going to make them repeat facts to me or they can like pound sand, you know? And so that's, I'm, I'm done with it, you know? Well, that's kind of, I, you know, I think that's where we need to get because the, the, the people on our side, uh, that's always the case. We, we, we pussyfoot around for the most part. You know, we try to, uh, we, we put on the baby gloves when we, when we have the position of control or whatever. And as soon as the other side gets control, man, it's like, oh, they don't give a shit. It's all hill, uh, you know, past precedents and, and traditions be damned. This is, this is our house now, and this is how we're going to do it. And we, that's how we need to get. We need to get a little more uh, in your face about it. I, I've, I've been doing that a little bit more, too, because just like you, John, it, it's like you get to the end of your rope, and it's like, you know what? You, wanna, you don't want to talk. You want to you wanna throw some hands, you know, verbal hands. Let's do it. And I think this yeah. is part of what Bill's talking about. But uh, a couple more, because we're just about to, a couple more minutes before we wrap up. Uh, Patrick and then Marcus, uh, if you have something short, uh, but Patrick, yeah. go ahead. I just had a quick question. I mean, given that Labour has limited time and resources and activists all have limited time and resources to spend an inordinate amount of time wondering whether and how we should convince what mostly seem to be working class white men, uh, the errors of their ways, does it in some ways not grant them uh, the, uh, does it not sort of validate the idea that they have a pivotal role in the electoral process? This isn't the Labour movement of 1970. It looks a lot different. It's a lot more diverse. There's a lot more women. I don't think they are pivotal. I think we can win elections without them, as we've shown. I think we can win power without them. Yeah. I, I would say, Patrick, we've got to be thinking at the level of we're building a new majority. And the labor movement that we need to be bringing into existence needs to be thinking in those terms. Uh, we need to be building a broad front, which all are welcome, right? But there need to be certain premises to that. And, and that's where it, it gets complicated. So I think I spend all this time doing racial justice trainings. I'm not doing them mainly with people of color. I'm dealing, doing them mainly with white folks, mixed groups. And it's because I basically believe most people can be won over, but it's a concerted effort. It's very important in terms of building that unity. But when you're doing it, it's going to be complicated. It's going to be heated. It's going to be painful for many people. Because when you deal with the real history of the racial construction of the United States as a capitalist country, a lot of white people become very sensitive because all of a sudden they realize that they've been played for suckers for 500 years. And nobody likes to admit that they've been played for a sucker. And you can either blame the person who played you or you can blame the messenger. And see, part of our job is to really point out to people 
You've been playing for suckers. Now let's talk about why and what needs to be done about it. And if we're on the same page, then we are comrades. Notice I'm not talking about white allies. I want comrades. John Brown was a comrade. Yeah. Right? He wasn't an ally. I want comrades. And that's what we need to be building within our movement, a movement of comrades. Bill, we're going we're gonna to leave it there. I want to thank you so much. Uh, this is, uh, folks, by the way, you can tune in on your right to work tomorrow at 1 o'clock on WPFW. Mark, we'll get you next time. We're gonna, we're, we're, this is going to be All a regular right. show. I can't follow that. <laughs> I know. So. Uh, but yeah, at 1 o'clock tomorrow on WPFW, Bill is, is going to, uh, we'll, we'll talk to our PFW audience. Uh, Bill, I'm, I'm so glad. It's, it's nice to see you, actually. <laughs> you too. <laughs> I missed you, brother. Uh, and Same thanks here. to everybody else uh, for being for being with us. This is a really, uh, I, I was having a tough day. This I'm, I'm feeling much, much better. Thank you uh, for, for that. I really appreciate it. I hope everybody watching appreciated it as well. And uh, Evan, I think we're going to go out with, uh, with a little music. We'll be back tomorrow at 5 o'clock. So tune in there. Thanks so much for watching. And uh, thanks very much to Evan for producing. Oh